Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. In today's sponsored show with Intel, we are diving into a series of recent Intel Silicon announcements that are impacting how networking services will be delivered in the years to come. There's a lot happening in this space. And one topic that we've discussed often in the podcast over the last well, several years is that off-the-shelf components have dramatically changed how we look at networking, and particularly the networking edge. Now, it's true that custom silicon is absolutely key to the high-capacity core networking, but the edge of the networking is set to change. Why? Because a modern CPU has a whole bunch of silicon features that accelerate network functions, but it's also a push by vendors to see those features adopted by networking companies. Now, let me explain that. What we're seeing is that the CPU, the all-purpose CPUs, has a whole bunch of chiplets inside of that package, which do network acceleration, uh, function acceleration, data transfer. There's a whole bunch of things going on. We're going to touch on some of those today. Um, but this does not mean that silicon doesn't matter. What it means is that much of the off-the-shelf silicon works really well at the edge of our networks. Now, the days of all custom hardware for network appliance is well behind us. The days of the custom firewall or the, you know, the magic device in the edge that the vendors used to sell us. And what we're seeing is much more of software being done in a VM. And we've also talked a lot on the podcast about the emergence of the DPU. So joining us today is Intel's Jenny Panhorst. She is Vice President and General Manager of Network and Edge Platforms Division. She's going to be talking about the changes that are coming and the features that are coming following a series of recent announcements by Intel. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Let's get right into the conversation. Let's start with this question because what we want, the topic that you gave me is smart edge. And the question I always want to define first is what is a smart edge according to your point of view? Yeah. And first of all, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I really, I really like what you're doing here in this show. And so if we look at Smart Edge, it, it is certainly from Intel's perspective, it is a brand um, under which we are using to empower developers to build great edge solutions. Um, and so it's it's a set of software capabilities that unleash the, the power of our underlying silicon and hardware ingredients in order to build edge solutions that are solving business problems, whether it's in IoT uh, across a number of enterprise verticals, um, in the telecom network, there are lots of different edges, as I know you've talked about <laughs> In your show as well. And so for us, Smart Edge is really about that portfolio of capabilities that enables intelligent edge solutions. I think what you're alluding to there is that edge is not really one thing. It actually could be multiple things if you look at it. So for some people, edge computing is a branch. Uh, For others, it's a cloud edge where they get some sort of hardware and and it's connected to an on-prem or an off-prem cloud data center. So this idea of IoT edge. It could also be an AI edge. So we're seeing factories deploy hardware at the edge to collect data and do some pre-analysis before they send it off to the cloud. But we're also seeing, and probably the one that's most talk about uh, or marketed or PR'd is the 5G and especially Mm -hmm. private 5G. But these are all elements of the same thing. Yeah, you know, and and what is also happening is that there are a number of of different parties who are operating these edges, right? So you've got edges that exist in the telecom network that are operated by the the telecom operators. You've also got regional data centers being built out by the hyperscalers. You've also got, you know, colos and other intermediaries who own presence in the metro edge or the regional edge. And at the end of the day, what they are seeking to do though is to deliver services to solve some of these, these transformational problems that a variety of different sectors across a number of different enterprise domains are, mm. are seeking to address. So at the end of the day, it's all about solving that enterprise problem, solving that consumer problem, uh, but doing so in a way where it's, you know, you're, you're doing service delivery that's a heck of a lot closer to where that user is and where that device is. 
So effectively, what we're saying is that even though all of these use cases might be different, they do actually converge on the same technology stack, which is what we've seen consistently for the last three decades in computing, where Intel inside was used for a laptop, but was also used for a data center. And so what I think I'm hearing is that you're saying that the same Intel approach to technology that Intel has is we've got CPUs that fit all the categories and you're now bringing out uh, CPUs, you know, Xeon processors, for example, that are able to fit into this edge use case. And that's the thrust of the recent series of announcements. Is that right? Yeah, you know, I think I think what you see is there because there are so many edges, there is a diversity of solutions that's required, right? So it's not one size fits all by any means. You need different design points for performance, for power, for price, for different workload mixes, like what you were talking about earlier. Mm. But you can do so with a common architecture and a common set of programming constructs in order to deliver some of the foundational capabilities that are required regardless, right? You need to provide foundational networking capabilities to meet the quality of service requirements for the use case. And you need to be able to provide a platform on which edge developers, which at the end of the day, really are cloud developers now developing to a distributed architecture. Yeah. You need to provide a platform for them to land these next generation applications and services on top of. And so, you know, but but it's not static by any means, right? In fact, most of these solutions are cloud native and they're really looking for more dynamic capabilities, more composable capabilities. And so, having a having consistency in that architecture across multiple edges is definitely a benefit. So, well, I think I think what I am hearing there is I may want to be hosting applications at the edge. And that might be in a container, it might be in a VM, it might actually be on bare metal. But what you want to yep. do is have a congruent or a coherent silicon strategy that sits underneath that. So you in the it. same way that you could run, you know, Microsoft SQL Server on a $300 laptop, it just won't run very well, but you can run it, right? Um, but if you put it on the right sort of server with the right sort of CPU and memory and, and you know, obtain storage engines on top of SSDs, then all of a sudden you can scale that up enormously. And that's kind of, is that kind of the thrust? Yeah, you, you, you see, you certainly see a benefit from consistency in the computer architecture, but there's also other critical ingredients that are essential to delivering on these next gen workloads. And so you see acceleration capabilities, you see connectivity capabilities. Um, and, and so having a consistent way to program and access this underlying silicon goodness um, is definitely something that we're focused on because we need to be able to provide developers an easy way to access those hardware resources um, without necessarily, um, you know, programming, in many cases, programming directly to um, those, those underlying silicon capabilities. We're providing the APIs, we're providing the developer kits in order to accelerate okay. the development of those solutions. Now, Jenny, we've been talking generically applications and so on, but can you give us just a little more context here? Your perspective is coming from edge networking. So are we talking about VNFs primarily and th those are the diversity of use cases are spread across VNFs or other things as well? Let's talk about a couple different layers. So if, if we look at you know, kind of what evolved out of NFE and SDN, SDN the first um, order of business was really about building high-speed software-based networking solutions in a way that provided more flexibility and programmability. So that's just basic capabilities to deliver high-speed networking like DPDK, OpenV switch, FIDO, new capabilities like what we introduced last year um, in the Infrastructure Programmer Developer Kit or, or IPDK. That's all about how do I provide a high-speed data plane. But then it's, it's the VNFs, right? Once you have high-speed networking, what kind of VNFs can you deliver on top of that 
and then dimension them appropriately for the types of edge locations that we're talking about. But also what, what, we're, see, what we're seeing increasingly from the enterprises who are expressing their problem statements to us and we're helping build solutions around is, hey, they not only want to onboard those networking functions, but they also want to do onboarding and lifecycle management of those actual edge applications. Sometimes it's actually on the same node. Um, sometimes it's across a cluster. And so those are the actual IoT applications that are solving a number of those problems, whether it's in a manufacturing domain, a transportation domain, a retail domain, in public services. There's so many different areas, mm. uh, so many different sectors that, that they're seeking to solve these problems. So it really is, there's multiple layers in that stack um, that really comprises the edge because they're, they're building converged solutions. So, so the, the silicon problem then becomes not merely... We're accelerating VNFs, and so we need to do magic in silicon that helps us with uh, routing and firewalls and general packet forwarding problems. But now, on that same node, you said, I need to stand up whatever the application is that's key to me to deliver at that edge. Uh, so now the silicon needs to have this diversity of uh, capability and being able to accelerate and run uh, a bunch of different things, potentially, with different needs. You, you said it perfectly. <laughs> so, so for us, it's really about how do you provide, you know, programmable networking capabilities in, in the case of some of our recent announcements, we, we announced our next generation Intel Xeon D processor, our, our 2700 and 1700 family. What that has is a combination of capabilities. We're integrating the connectivity, we're integrating packet acceleration, we're integrating acceleration for things like cryptography, compression, um, you know, key capabilities that are essential for just the infrastructure itself. But then we also have AI acceleration in the CPU itself in order to also support the needs of the applications that are landing uh, on those on those systems. How do you do power optimization in that scenario, though? That just, it's like, you gotta, you're trying to make a chip that does everything. Well, I, th that's where the integration is key, right? So, so a lot of the optimization that we're driving, you know, in this, in this particular case, um, it, it differs from our Xeon scalable line in that you are trying to scale down to lower uh, power design points, but you're doing so by also integrating other capabilities into a single package. Because what's also valued in these environments is smaller form factors, more stringent, environmental constraints in terms of, you know, temperature, extended temperature requirements, and um, in many cases, NEVs requirements in a, in a telco domain. And so you're saving power by driving that higher level of integration as well. So what you're saying there is that you're putting more components on a single die. So instead of having multiple chips spread across a motherboard, we're seeing things shrink down onto a single um, it, underlying substrate. Yeah, part in, of it. It, into a single die or into a single package, depending upon the exact implementation. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But also by the fact that it's actually integrated on the die, we now have a high-speed bus, say, if you're using the Intel Quick Assist technology, right, to do um, accelerate encryption or compression, or let's say you're doing some sort of TLS VPN or an SD-WAN style mm -hmm. VPN, mm -hmm. you can use Quick Assist to actually do the whole uh, handshake, right, and accelerate the crypto functionality right up front. Now, if that exactly. is actually on 10 years ago, that used to be a separate chip. So it used to, the CPU would have to write it out to a memory and then the separate chip would have to pull the data from the DRAM into it, do the cryptography, then pass it back to the DRAM, pass it back. Having it on die means it's all just shift out of the CPU straight onto an accelerator back into the CPU. Exactly. So you get performance benefits and you also get power benefits instead of going, you know, like you said, to the, mm. the external bus going over PCI Express, you've now got an opportunity to integrate that. You save power mm. in the process and you also have performance advancements. Now, the other thing here is that the newer, this new chipset also has some AI functions. So it's got this, um, I think it's called, oh, let me just put on my radio announcer voice, 
Intel's deep learning boost vector neural network instructions and yeah. other such things. <laughs> that just slips right off the tongue. Is that basically just like an AI accelerator, a bit like what we've seen from different people out there who've got TPU type or TPU class devices to accelerate AI math? In this case, it's really about advancements in the instruction set. So if you're familiar with our Xeon scalable product line, um, which is based on Ice Lake, uh, which we announced last year, it leverages those same architectural advancements that you mentioned in DL Boost. Mm. And so it's really about addressing, you know, the growing demand for inferencing and machine learning at the edge um, by increasing the the ability to do AI processing in a fewer number of instructions. Um, so Deep Learning Boost, um, it's got vectoral neural network instructions, and it has the ability to decrease the number of cycles required to do um, high-performance, high-speed um, AI processing. Right. So yeah, AI is becoming part of everything. So if I, if I bring along a VNF and I want to do some uh, SD-WAN type functionality where I'm using a crypted overlay, mm-hmm. or if I'm bringing along, uh, uh, you know, some sort of networking function where I want to do an analysis of the packet flow that's going across the network, I've now got hardware acceleration available to me inside a container or inside a VM, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so you can take advantage of, of you know, crypto acceleration that exists in the CPU itself, or you can take advantage, as you were talking about before, with the crypto acceleration that's in uh, the, the Quick Assist accelerator that is now integrated into the processor. Were there any other hardware functions in this? So there's a bunch of announcements recently, and there's so many of them that I actually, honestly, I was a bit baffled. <laughs> is there any others that we should be talking about for today, for tackling you know, the challenge of the edge? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things I wanted to, I wanted to mention mm-hmm. is that also within that that Intel Xeon D processor is the integration of the connectivity. And so that's something where in addition to having, you know, the high speed um, general purpose processor, having the integrated accelerators, it's also really crucial. And what we keep hearing from customers is this idea of integrating the connectivity directly into the package. So in the case of the new Intel Xeon D processors, we've got up to 100 gigabit Ethernet integrated directly into the package, um, as well as, you know, integrated PCI Express in case you want to catch other accelerators. So I don't need a separate NIC necessarily. Correct. I would just have to provide the necessary uh, physical interfacing to go straight out. So the actual packetization and offload is actually done on die in the CPU. And this is how you've shrunk. So if we circle back around to this lower power, lower thermal envelope, which is really important at the edge because you often don't have data center class environments and you don't have thermal management and clean air and all that sort of stuff. you're actually saying by shrinking everything into a single sock. So this is much more of a system on a chip idea rather than as the traditional CPU model. Yeah, you know, and and of course we're seeking the benefit of having those components tightly integrated together architecturally as well. So there's the physical integration, but then there's the architectural integration. And so in addition to having the accelerators there, the connectivity there, we also provide the the interconnections between those different elements. So one of the key capabilities that we also introduced in this Xeon D processor is inline crypto capabilities. So you could have an IPsec packet that can come in over the over the line and mm. that outer head can automatically be detected and it can do the decrypt without going to the CPU before that payload is is passed to the CPU. And so it's a significant increase in performance by comparison to software-based solutions. So are we saying with packaging like this, Jenny, that in this architecture, I probably don't need a smart NIC or does that become uh, case by case? 
It, it really depends on the application. Um, in this case, there, there are actually circumstances where perhaps this, this um, processor could actually be used as the foundation to build a, a smart NIC solution um, because of the capabilities that are there. Um, but there are also circumstances where this forms the compute foundation and you also need additional connectivity, whether that's a, a standard NIC or a smart NIC to be able to provide additional, additional networking uh, horsepower for a, a given application. So it really depends on the configuration. Um, we've got customers who are using, you know, only the, the capabilities that are integrated directly into Ice Lake D. They're building a super tight form factor. You know, we've got reference designs and, and customers mm. who've, who've built solutions um, that are, you know, like a COM HPC type of form factor, a six by six daughter card built into a system, you know, for a tightly integrated um, edge platform that provides um, RAN capabilities as well um, to a, a larger form factor where they're actually using additional attached um, connectivity and other and other um, accelerators. But the key here is for you just said a whole bunch of words here around almost what's almost a custom approach to implementing software features to get them accelerated. But you're still using generically open Intel APIs and Intel software to do this. So you're using tools like uh, Intel Quick Assist, uh, you're accelerating VPP, vector packet processing, which is a well-known, you're yeah. talking about accelerating OpenSwitch with standard and DBPF using all standard stuff, even though you've got some custom packaging here, it's still all open software functionality, like any developer can use it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and we're leveraging the, you know, the, the open source projects that are out there as well. So of course we provide the drivers, we provide the APIs, but then we're doing the enabling through the ecosystem to ensure that customers can ultimately use the underlying acceleration. And as you mentioned, Quick Assist has been around for, you know, 10 years or, or thereabouts. And so <laughs> yeah, all right. of yeah. that investment that our customers have made in building solutions, you know, whether it's security solutions, networking solutions on that architecture, they can yeah. just move to the next generation of Quick Assist and, and just, you know, use those added capabilities in the process. Yeah, so we are a networking-centric podcast. Heavy networking, is the secret's in the name, heavy networking, yeah. right? So I, I am thinking in terms of if I'm running a firewall in a container or if I'm running a load balancer in a, in a VM, I have all of the acceleration features that I used to have in a custom piece of hardware from a vendor. Quite a lot of those features are now just part of this SOC, basically the system on a chip that Intel has made and, and using standardized APIs. Now that's still up to the menu, the, you know, the load balancer or the firewall company or the, the security technology, mm -hmm. security company who wants to do threat detection, right? They want to use an AI chip, AI capability to analyze the threats at the edge. They still need to provide that, but that is all part of this chipset. That's the, that's the fundamental here, I think. There you go. You you really hit on it. And mm. there's, you know, there's an opportunity for what used to be, like you said, these purpose-built hardware solutions, which by the way, had a tremendous amount of software investment in order to <laughs> deliver those capabilities. And now mm. what we're doing is we're taking what used to be individual components on the board, integrated into one offering in this in this Intel Xeon D processor. And, and those same partners that we work with can leverage that software investment that they've made and build, you know, high-performant, flexible solutions based on this next generation. In this particular case, we're focusing on edge environments where they are more power constrained, they are more environmentally constrained, um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're seeking to deliver those same functions and, and increasingly, you know, doing so in, you know, in edge environments, in containerized and cloud native deployment models. 
the, the other thing is, is that we also made some announcements around our next generation Intel Xeon scalable portfolio, specifically focused in empowering capabilities for virtualized RAN and open RAN. Um, and so, you know, it, it really is a lot of the same tenets that we've already talked about around the idea of building flexible solutions, programmable solutions for the network that mm -hmm. are certainly power efficient, but that don't compromise on performance. Because at the end of the day, operators have really stringent SLAs that they need to be able to deliver. And so for us, it's about delivering the flexibility and the performance. And so, you know, we've been investing for a long time in both the hardware acceleration capabilities, the enhancements to the general purpose processors, like what you were talking about mm. before, as yeah. well as optimized software like FlexRAN. So what we what we announced at MWC this year were a couple advancements in our what's going to be our next generation Xeon processor, codenamed Sapphire Rapids. And you've probably heard Intel talk about this next generation processor for a little while now. Um, and we announced two different things. Uh, the first is that this new Sapphire Rapids core is going to have a, a number of enhancements to the instruction set specifically focused on signal processing for 5G specifically. Um, yeah. And yeah. and so this is really, you know, it, it builds on our decade plus of learnings of building software-based um, signal processing and, and baseband solutions. Um, and, and we took those learnings and we said, okay, where are the areas that would benefit the most from optimization um, within the instruction set, and what we're able to deliver with these Im improvements in our um, in our instruction set is is two x capacity gains for VRAN by comparison to right. the current generation of solutions that are out there. Um, and so, you know, there's you know, so you look at okay, the you know the deployment of VRAN solutions that are occurring right now, massive MIMO based solutions. Um, you know, it it really is an opportunity to to take those most demanding highest density um, solutions and and deliver those based on Xeon, but then also even scale down, you mentioned before, 5G private networks, even scale down to the yeah. the, the types of scale that's required for well, uh, you, for private network deployments too. Yeah, because what you do want is you also, just because you're private 5G doesn't mean you don't want MIMO or massive MIMO, right, right? Right. And that's a key functionality to be able to use the spectrum because a lot of the available spectrum for private 5G is going to be unlicensed. People are going to want to use just available spectrum. Right. They don't want to go and have to pay somebody for a license to use some reserve spectrum that only telcos can have. And you're going to need MIMO to be able to achieve the distance. And the thing about MIMO, if you're listening and you don't quite understand, is it, it, it implies that there's multiple inputs and multiple outputs. So instead of just streaming one Wi-Fi signal to a handset, smartphone, iPad, computer, you actually send four, eight, 12, mm -hmm, six, and even, mm -hmm. I think even 16 streams or more, yep. right? Um, and the idea is there is that you can now get gigabit, 10 gigabit, 100 gigabit type. And that, and there's an innovation cycle here to get that capacity up. But yep. it, so now you have a situation where the RAN edge has to be able to, A, work out that this stream belongs to that piece, that, that handset, that edge device. And I'm now going to chop the data up in some way and then stream it across multiple streams, multiple inputs, multiple outputs. So at the same time as I'm streaming in one direction over, say, 12 channels, I've got to be receiving the data back over 12 channels. So at the same yep. time, I actually have to be able to load balance to be able to calculate it. And then deeper inside of this, the radio systems that sit underneath this might be doing beamforming. And that is where they're actually analyzing the spectral space around them. They're aware of it. I'm trying to dumb this down to such a way that it works in an audio podcast. So please bear with me. You're actually looking at the at the at the the waveforms and deciding how to process them using a software-defined radio. Now, to do software-defined radio until recently, you needed to have a DSP and often a custom 
DSP. But I think what you're saying is you're getting more and more of those DSP type functions directly to do with- in the processor. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And so, so what we see here is the ability to, you know, create this increase in performance, increase in, in density. And what we've got in these, you know, pre-production platforms is building out, you know, high cell density solutions up to 64 T 64 R massive MIMO. And, mm. and it really, you know, it, it offers the, the level of performance to be able to support, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, kind of three cell solutions today up to six cell and, and we're mm. looking into the future you know, even beyond that. Um, and, and so that's, so that's one really important advancement is to be able to provide, you know, this, the signal processing capability embedded directly into the instruction set for the Sapphire Rapids family. But the mm. other thing that we did is we announced that within that portfolio, that there will be new chips within that next generation of Xeon processors that will also integrate acceleration optimized specifically for VRAN workloads. Um, so mm. a subset of segment optimized offerings within that portfolio portfolio that give our customers even an increased boost in flexibility. So taking acceleration that, you know, previously today exists outside the, the Xeon CPU and pulling that directly into the, the mesh with the, with the cores and offering increased performance and, and similar to what we talked about with the Xeon D processor improvements mm. in power. And, and this is key to how, to how private 5G is going to be successful. Cause I've always, I've been very dubious about the idea of private 5G and I'm not necessarily convinced that it's going to get across the, you know, the adoption gap. Uh, you know, Wi-Fi is, Wi-Fi 7 is coming, there's more spectrum being allocated, but the 5G is definitely going to be more robust than Wi-Fi because it's able to drive signals yeah. further and it's able to use better handling of the, the spectral space. Yeah. But it's much more complicated in terms of how it addresses those radios. Like 64, 64 streams of MIMO in and out is a massive processing load. And if you're doing it for 500 handsets or for single tower, you're talking about, and it's all being done in software on coherent workloads. So in a container or in a VM, and you want that because you want to be able to say, I want to upgrade my 5G to the latest standards. You don't want to have to go in and fork out all of that hardware. You want to be able to just upgrade the container that handles the software-defined yeah, radio piece. Absolutely. Yeah, right. that's, I mean, that's certainly the benefit of a programmable solution. And that's kind of where, where we go back to, you know, we know operators, whether it's, you know, the, the public RAN operators um, or those who are seeking, you know, to deploy those, those private 5G solutions, they, you know, they want that programmability, they want that flexibility to deploy new workloads, but, you know, they, they've still got to deliver, you know, the, the types of quality of service that are expected from a 5G service. They've got to have that performance. Yeah, they've got to have that performance. And the interesting part here is that, when you've got the uh, the separation between the software and the hardware or the disaggregation, so Intel's going to give you this platform which has all of these functionalities in there. Now you can actually just slide in a bigger server and everything got faster. So your software-defined radio just got better if you needed it. You say, I want this group of containers to run on this hardware because yeah. that's where it's got the best software to find radio performance, right? Yeah, or, you definitely can. Yeah, you definitely can leverage that that software investment. I, I would say, you know, scale is key. Yes, obviously for, mm-hmm. you know, the highest density, highest performance deployments, it is about pushing the envelope on that high end. And, and you know, we're continuing to do that out in time as well, you know, building more and more capabilities to, to deliver optimized VRAN solutions. But it's also about that scale at the edge because, you know, what you build into a public network definitely isn't appropriate for, you know, a, a private 5G network in, in well, a factory. And so, well, I, was, you know, I was more driving into the idea like a, an, an Apple iPhone continues to yeah. work year in, year out. New software comes down yeah. and the, the functionality is there. And then all of a sudden you find that your phone reaches its maximum performance threshold and you go to the new one 
and everything works the same because the software is the same, but the, yeah. the silicon inside is so much more advanced and so much more capable. The acceleration is so much, much more acceleration-y. Yeah. That really didn't and, work. And that I, is, oh yeah, I'll go. Sorry, acceleration-y. <laughs> so <laughs> i say it again. <laughs> but that, that, no, and that's the point, right? The idea here is here that if you need more performance, you should be able to slide it in without having to worry about the software. But it also means that the software can go click to upgrade, click yeah. to upgrade. And there's no hardware dependencies. Like I worked in the in the telco industry for a decade and everything, this software release required this hardware release because this, 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 we don't want that anymore. We want to be able to just click and upgrade, reboot, and the patching is done. I want to be able to roll it back and say that we put that patch in and it didn't work. Okay, let's click the rollback. And this is where containers and VMs are so powerful is yeah. that you can actually do that because the day, it's all there, right? Yeah. And we didn't, haven't talked about how the SOC actually handles network attack storage and you know, a whole bunch of other things because maybe this isn't the right place for that. But this is the cut the thrust here is that these SOCs start to say, we support a whole bunch of APIs that let the RAN and, and, and 5G solution do their thing. But it also means that you can just rotate the hardware at a pace yeah. that makes sense for the hardware and the software um, updates at a pace that suits the software and your business benefits from that. Yeah, exactly. But it's still taking advantage of that underlying hardware as much as possible, right? So it isn't it isn't an agnostic approach. It very much is an opinionated approach around leveraging those next generation instruction sets, leveraging the acceleration that exists there, but doing so in a way that is flexible for the software stack that's landing on top. And like you said, provides that portability to the next generation or, you know, perhaps a you know higher design point, a more powerful server um, when that technology becomes available or when you find that you need the added capacity. Um, it's all about, you know, finding a way to scale that software investment for sure. Okay. So we sort of laid the foundation here that the infrastructure is software led with the hardware, giving the software the capability to operate at maximum capability. But really there's a whole gap here around developers. How are developers going to be able to consume this? Because they have to write the software that consumes these um, APIs, these open standards that you've created. Yeah. So for us, this is really about empowering the next generation of mech. You know, mech used to be, you know, a very telco centric definition. Um, now it's expanded to include a number of different networking functions. We really see mech as akin to what many call the hyperconverged edge or the ability to, similar to what we were talking about before, really pull networking workloads and then these edge applications and services together um, and, and to do so in a way that that meets some of the demands, unique demands of, of edge environments, you know, so it, it definitely is scalable, um, but it's also resilient and it provides that, that flexible programmability. Um, so we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that Smart Edge, you know, is a portfolio of capabilities to allow developers to unlock um, this, this business value by accelerating the development of, of Edge solutions. And so we've got, you know, a couple different areas of focus within this portfolio. We've got what we call Smart Edge Open, uh, which some may, may have been familiar with earlier as, as openness. Um, we've now renamed that to Smart Edge Open. And we also have a, a, a commercial offering, a commercial uh, turnkey stack under the Smart Edge portfolio as well. Uh, but really for us, it's it's about doing you know, what Intel has done for such a long time in a variety of different industries, which is empowering ecosystems. Um, and, and in this particular case, we can't allow, we, we can't accelerate the, the building of edge solutions without focusing on developers. And so, you know, we keep hearing from our enterprise customers around the fact that they, they do want to take advantage of things like private 5G. They want mm. to be able to manage their network complexity. How do they do so in a way where you've got a couple different things going on? You're trying to you're trying to drive business transformation. You're trying to converge your OT and your IT domains. How do you 
you know, abstract that, but, that complexity. But wouldn't I buy that? I love it when you say things like empowering ecosystems, because I, I almost went comatose there for a minute. But... <laughs> Because I couldn't decode that into something meaningful, so let me have it a go. Uh, if I'm a if I'm working inside of inside of a telco, say Nokia or Ericsson, and I'm yeah. writing code that is going to drive these five G workloads, that's the sort of people I'm talking to. Or am I thinking of as an enterprise developer and saying, is there something that I want to do for my environment that could help me monitor coal machines at the coalface? It depends on the the solution that you're seeking to build. So yes and yes and yes. Um, so we are working directly with the TEMs, with the ISVs, with the OEMs. We're also working directly with the enterprise developers. The enterprise developers, in many cases, they just want a turnkey solution that will give them the types right. of networking and edge platform capabilities that are required to solve their business problem full stop. In other circumstances, it's about us working with the entire value chain that we support to build edge solutions that will solve those enterprise problem statements. So it's, it's everyone that you mentioned. Because I'm thinking I used to work in the mines in central Australia and they have these trucks, which are like the size of, Mm. you know, they have uh, six wheels and each one's got an electric engine. And then they have four diesel, diesel engines in the front providing the power to electrically power the wheels. And these things generate gigabytes of data per yeah. minute on, you know, how things are going. I, if I am running a 5G solution to monitor that, I might actually want to actually sell the customer the truck with the yeah. 5G, with fully a bunch integrated. of VMs, fully yeah. integrated. Yep. Is that? Yep. Oh, that's and, where we're and, headed. And that is, well... Yes and yes, right, in terms of other solutions. So, what you know, the edge is still, you know, it it is absolutely happening. You know, I I came back from MWC 22. um, You know, I mean, we we are definitely moving from vision into execution. That that is Mm. absolutely the case. But it's not happening in one way, right? So we've got, you know, solutions that are are more focused on delivering underlying network capabilities. We've got solutions on the other end of the spectrum that are incredibly vertically integrated, specific to solving a particular problem. And I love your example, right, of the (laughs) in the mind, right? Because that is, you know, it's like, you can't get more specific than, okay, what are the, you know, what are the time sensitive, you know, time bound control problems that you're trying to solve? What are you going to do with all that data that's coming off of those sensors? Maybe you've got cameras mounted on that truck as well. That's pulling in a ton of video data and you've got to figure out how do I not have to pay to backhaul all of that data to a cloud? How do I do local inferencing at the edge? Exactly. So the more you can come up now, what we're learning though, is, you know, you've got to dive into those enterprise specific problems. But at the end of the day, what we want to do is identify the areas of commonality across those different sectors, across those different vertical applications, because there are still a common set of building blocks. Yeah, they're not, they're not all unique. The yeah. software might be unique, but they shouldn't have to have unique hardware to do this. Right, right. Like just because it takes me six months to charter a ship, to ship a new engine to site, you need to predict six months ahead that that tire and that engine needs replacement. Because but even, you've probably got to, you yeah. know, predict it into your coal production cycle. I did all this, as you can probably hear. You can I hear can the tell, pain, right? I can tell. <laughs> uh, you know, um, th- there's so much going on here, which is kind of, but software at the edge can actually help with that type of stuff. So that's a, that's a specific use case. So if I was a truck maker that yep. was doing a specific thing, I could develop it. But a normal enterprise might want to do something far more traditional, like, you know, buy an application from somebody that tracks people inside of an office space for whatever right. reason, right? Maybe right. you want to do smarter about your heating, bill 
right? The, the price of energy going up, you want to be able to shut off the air conditioning or the heating when nobody's in the office. Well, how do you do that? You have to have some sensors and make, yeah. you don't want to be able to send all that off to the cloud. You just want to process it at the edge of the network and turn the air on and the heating off if that's what it needs to be done. Yeah. Right? And and you, de- you defined, you know, kind of two opposite ends of the spectrum, but if you think about the shades of gray that exist, you know, across that, that continuum, you do have commonalities across different domains. So going back to your mining example with the, the vehicle, you may have, you know, a lot of commonalities with a, you know, with a smart factory or, uh, or a transportation application or a smart port. Um, or even even many, you know, kind of municipal types of applications where you have to be able to support, um, you know, fundamental, um, you know, networking performance, you know, specialized data plane capability. You need to support security, um, data sovereignty, keeping the right amount of data local. Um, but you also have to solve problems around how do I actually filter and process and drive, you know, inference and, and drive insights on that massive amount of data that's that's coming in. Um, and, and you might have a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, other, other security capabilities. And so I've got a universal engine to do all of this. And now I've actually got a set of engines which are customized for this workload. They're able to do software defined radio. They're able to do AI. They're able to do network attached storage all on the same CPU well, and and, and we and, and it goes even beyond that, right? So what right. we're talking about with Smart Edge is how do we deliver a portfolio of building blocks that find the commonalities across all these different domains? So you've got, you know, essentially a menu of building blocks to choose from because it's developed in a cloud native fashion. These are all microservices, right? So it is much more of a, you know, kind of a, a pick and choose of these different building blocks. And then it's really about how do you pull it together and integrate it into a solution for a particular domain, right? So so we've got the build, we've got the set of building blocks. And then what we have are, are, are called experience kits, which are essentially a developer toolkit for a specific focus area. Um, so we've talked a little bit about private wireless. We, we have a, what we call a private wireless experience kit that yeah. focuses on letting you run 5G workloads in a private wireless environment. So what we've done is we've, we've you know, focused on solving some of these common problems that a customer is typically going to see when they want to integrate the RAN and core to deliver a private 5G network, but then also start to, you know, build in some of these additional application capabilities. So, you know, it's all the way from, you know, kind of the bottom of the stack all the way up to the top. So, you know, you're, you're looking at how do I take advantage of the underlying hardware, some of the enhancements we just talked about to be able to deliver a high performance 5G solution. So it could be, mm-hmm. you know, your optimized DPDK, it could be the right settings in your bootloader, you know, even at that <laughs> level of the of the yeah. hardware stack. It could be, you know, how do I access the accelerators? that are in the hardware platform in a cloud native way. So your forward error correction, you know, accelerator module, how do I, you know, how do I do that with a Kubernetes operator? That that's a, you know, a component that's integrated into this experience kit. Um, Then also it's pre-integrated with, you know, a full VRAN stack with a CU, a DU, 5G UPF. Um, And then there's also some reference applications that are running on top of it. we've talked before about private 5G and how open VRAN works. If you want to, understand that more reference back to that podcast just do a search on packet pushes for intel vram we had a i had a really great show uh basically i took the view that private 5g would never happen and the other and the speaker convinced me otherwise yeah i think you talked to bupash didn't you yeah that was that was uh yeah it was a good discussion and and i i agree that's a great place to go to to get you know kind of a summary of the different challenges that are that are being faced and how you know how you know private 5g will be different you know we believe than than uh prior generations of private networks and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an easy button to help accelerate that to help make that happen and that's and so 
us all about these SDKs, these and these sample kits that you're talking about. So if somebody's listening to this and thinking, I don't even know where to start, you can actually (laughs) find a whole bunch of this stuff. And and you you can go today, right? I mean, this is not theoretical. It's it's not slideware. This is you know not only an experience kit that's out there that customers can download today, but it's actually being used in a number of different environments. Not not even just in trials, but actually in production deployments um, with a number of operators and a number of of enterprises across a, a number of different sectors. Um, and so you you know you take advantage of the smart edge open through these experience kits. It takes advantage of, of FlexRAN, like we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, yeah. It even introduces capabilities like um, the the OpenVINO toolkit, um, which uh, some of your listeners may um, may be aware of as well. Um, and and of course you know takes advantage of the underlying silicon capabilities in in the latest generation Intel Xeon D as well as Intel Xeon Scalable. Now I want to come back to the importance of AI. We talked now. I have. I'm fairly cynical about the whole artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning statistics. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes because now statistics is now suddenly called AI a lot of the time. But um, the the research material that we did for the show, you talked a lot about how AI is driving intelligent networking functions. So I wanted to highlight that a little bit about how how is Intel differentiating itself and what developments do you see AI bringing to network functions down the road. Yeah, so I think that, you know, it, it, it is a continuum, like you said, right? Yeah. It's everything from traditional analytics all the way up to AI and machine learning. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's important to acknowledge that different, you know, types of, of problems, you know, demand different solutions. And so it's not, you know, only about, you know, deploying <laughs> yeah. machine learning in every single one of those applications. But when we talk about it, you know, and again, we're, we're coming at this just like you are from a, from a networking context, but we're at the end of the day trying to help customers solve business problems. And so it's very rare that an enterprise customer will come to us and say, okay, okay, I want a private 5G network deployed in exactly this way. They've mm. got, you know, SLAs they want to meet. And it just so happens that, you know, a, a private network and an edge compute solution of, of this particular, you know, configuration is the way that we help them solve that problem, right? And so, yeah. so then if you, if you look at, okay, well, where can you incorporate AI into a solution like that? It is about intelligent networking. So it is about, you know, for example, enhancing some of the orchestration capabilities um, that exist at the edge. If, if you think about, you know, we, we talked a little bit before about the fact that, you know, the edge is really, you know, at the end of the day, it's really a distributed cloud. So it's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like the power of the cloud, but much more well, complex it should to manage. Be that. I mean, the cloud is a cloud is an operating model, not a thing. Yeah. And, oh, I, you know, it was, it was invented by, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. the idea of an off-premise data center basically worked on the concept that you had to fit into a new operating model, but we, that works. So yep. we need to bring that off-prem, you know, that cloud operating model to the edge as much as we do to the data to wherever center. it exists and all those That's different right. edges, like we were yeah. talking about back at the beginning, right? And so, so when you look then at the problem, at the challenge of orchestrating that, it's very complex. It exists in a number of different levels, right? You've got yeah. infrastructure, you know, um, orchestration, you know, in terms of just the, the telemetry, you know, coming off of the hardware itself. And how do I manage just basic capabilities like the OS, the VMs, the, the containers, the firmware, et cetera, right? How do I manage mm-hmm. a node effectively? Um, um, then you've got, okay, how do I manage the resources themselves? So how do I build additional, you know, containerized microservices that are landing on top of those nodes? How do I build up a cluster and deliver just foundational infrastructure yeah. capabilities like security, telemetry, you know, um, all of that? Then you start layering on other applications and you start, you know, getting concerned around how do I deliver, you know, intelligent service mesh capabilities to stitch together different services, um, you know, on, on a given platform or in a cluster. Then you've got, how do I orchestrate across clusters, right? So that's a great place, right, for, you know, adding in additional intelligence. 
Yeah, and this is where AI ops is the, is really what it boils down to, or as I just call it, operations. Whether you're using AI or spreadsheets doesn't really matter, you know, or, or you know, Red Hat's Ansible it doesn't. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Operations is the key here. Yeah. We've gone from a. I, th- I think that the takeaway here is that we all now know, and especially all of our vendors, is that operating it and continuous operation, that day in, day out operation of the entire stack has to be part of designed in. You can't retrofit it. Oh you can't gosh. deploy Completely. something and then <laughs> write a script afterwards that operates it. It has to be built in from the very front. The, the OPEX won't work out, right? Uh, you know, yeah. it, it won't pencil out unless you figure out, you know, exactly how you're going to, to operate it from day one. I, I completely agree. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, so building that intelligence into the infrastructure is is absolutely essential. But but when we talk about edge AI, we're also talking about the applications that land on top. So if we go back to your, you know, your mining and your truck example of massive amounts of telemetry coming off yeah. of, you know, the motors and the sensors and the wheels and the, you know, and then I even threw cameras on there. I don't know if there were cameras, but, but you know, <laughs> They probably there will. probably uh, will be someday, yeah, right? And, and so, so when you talk about especially real-time instrumentation and you talk about the massive amounts of data that's coming off of cameras, right? You cannot handle that massive influx of data yeah, without a certain amount of you, inference at the edge. You can generate it easily enough, but you can't do anything with it. There's no point in uploading it all to the cloud and trying to keep yeah. it. You have well, you to, can't afford it. it going yeah. back to the, you know, the OPEX, you know, uh, constraints, right? You can't afford to, to backhaul all of that data. Um, the economics just fundamentally won't work out. But we also know, you know, based on, again, the early learnings with customers on this is that, you know, there's only a small percentage of that data that's usable anyway, some of which yeah, we can right. discover now. Yeah, some you've got to be able to extract it at the edge and then find the key go. events. Hang on, this this set of data, there's a, there's a deviation. I'm now going to hold the 15 minutes before, the 15 minutes after and upload that go. for evaluation. Exactly, and make yeah. a real-time decision about what to maintain. So I'm not maintaining 100% of it, you know, but yes. I've got, you know, and then I've, you, you know, you've got, you've got storage, you know, constraints at the edge as well. And so that's, you know, th- this is an area where the OpenVINO toolkit is really focused is on, you know, empowering that development, that tuning, uh, you know, it's got a library of models that can tune those models, you know, to be able to focus them specifically on a particular application that a customer is seeking to deliver. So, so, you know, there, there's there's a ton of opportunity, depending upon whether you're talking about the infrastructure, whether you're talking about the applications to leverage analytics, AI and machine learning, really all mm-hmm. along that entire continuum um, at, at the edge. Okay. So we're coming to the end, Jenny, without running out of time. And man, we have been going <laughs> fast. Now, what I, if anybody is still listening at this point and they're hearing stuff that's interesting, then how do they go and find out more information? Like particularly, I'm thinking from developers who think yeah. I want to understand some more about some of the toolkits you talked about today. Yeah. So I think a great place to start is with SmartEdge, uh, since that's kind of where, you know, it's where we started the discussion today and, and what we just chatted about. Um, and you can just go to intel.com slash SmartEdge, and that'll provide a jumping off point, not just for SmartEdge, but all of those other adjacent edge capabilities in our portfolio that are focused on accelerating those the development of those edge solutions. Unfortunately, we have run out of time for today's show. Thanks so much to Intel for sponsoring. And thanks so much to Jenny for being a fantastic guest. How many words per minute did we get through on today's show? (laughs) As always, you can find more information in the show notes on the Packet Pushers website. On the page that's associated with the podcast, you'll find links to a whole bunch of content that we used to build up today's show. And also, if you want to find out more about Intel Smart Edge and the D on D platform and how it works, get on over to our website or do searches in your favorite Google tool. And as always, 
Remember that there you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushes.net. You can follow us on social media at Packet Pushes, find us on LinkedIn, and please do tell your friends about us. It helps us stay here and keep bringing this to you week after week. And last but never, ever least, remember that too much technology would never be enough. <laughs>